The big dude who was smoking the cigarette, you know, took off his shirt to one let that one, one less drag of the cigarette. Didn't know how to fight. You could see when he went with his feet the back way and what happened right away when he came and kicked him and then he fell down after that, mm-hmm. right? And ended up hitting his head. So you, you can see it. But when you have those skills and you're fighting against someone like that, and he, most likely that's all you're going to need. And then the reality, I mean, it's not like we're, we're fighting every day on the street and we don't want to also be the one who instigate fights. And only if you have to defend yourself. And this is what martial arts teaches us anyways, right? And it's, it's, that's actually very interesting that the, what martial arts teaches us is the same thing that the Sunnah teaches us. The Prophet والسلام, he said, That the one who is the, and look at the example he gave. Prayer, learning about Islam, reading hadith, just things like that. This podcast, that would be one, right? Because they're all, you know, intertwined. Two would be diet. Three would be training. Four would be sleep. And five would be connections. Social life, keeping, you know, everything straight with people. You know, roommate, if you're married, just these things. But that's just me. That's time management for me. Yeah, subhanAllah. That was amazing, man. SubhanAllah. It's life-changing. I have to implement that, inshallah. Yeah, mashallah. Bro, I, feel, I feel like, wallahi, bro, I feel like God was speaking through you. Because yesterday, man, like, I was uh, making dua after my prayer. And I was just like, Allah, like, just please give me the ability to just be receptive and, like, see what needs to be done next. Like, give me the the, the ability to be receptive and then the ability to adapt and just like start doing these things, you know, cause it, the big changes, obviously the big changes. And like, bro, I'm, I'm just shocked that like you were saying everything. And it was just like, then you just mentioned the MMA thing and then it, it all was just lining up perfectly, bro. Like it's like all these gears in my head were like just clicking perfectly, bro. So Jessica La, Jessica La, hey, bro. Well, yeah, bro, I, I appreciate it. And here's the thing. Quick side note is if you're in a position to help anyone, don't, don't turn it down because you could be the answer to that person's prayer. I, 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 th- I thought your wife was driving. I was like, we're getting wearing the masculinity these days. <laughs> No, that's, no. Back, that's, my <laughs> that's good stuff, man. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the realest podcast in the game, T3M. We are joined with your host, Bayad, Anhel, and Rami. And we got a very special guest today, Sheikh Abdurrahim McCarthy. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam rahmatullah. So, off the rip. I found you through a video online, uh, 54 lessons or 56 lessons, something like that from Habib, right? That Muslims can extract and learn from. So I know that non-Muslims and Muslims alike, when Habib was, uh, you know, fighting McGregor, they were, they were all, you know, rooting for McGregor. I know Muslims personally, including ones in my family that were rooting for McGregor because we didn't really know too much about Habib. And when, you know, obviously he took the dub, 
everyone was like, yeah, yeah. It was a big moment for Muslims worldwide. You were on the bandwagon just, then, right? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. They're just, they're just side switches. And you know, what, what, what you see in, you know, trash talk and pregame is McGregor has, has cultivated this air of, you know, being infamous and just notoriety. And he, he does have a big mouth, but when you see Habib, it's like, he didn't really get that recognition too much from the mass media before because he was he was always kind of quiet, always kind of stoic, just in his own mm-hmm. lane. Something very interesting about that, you know, I, I've started a new program on my Instagram and on my Facebook. I don't know if you've seen it, Daddy Lives. Now, I thought about it. I said, you know, that before when I was at the Imam of the Masjid, every day we would have, you know, live reminders. And it, it, we mostly spontaneous things after Salat al-Fajr a lot of the times. That's when I have my most energy, alhamdulillah. Uh, and sometimes, you know, in the evening time, if I'm there as well, I'll give another reminder. And sometimes, you know, we'd read the Salihin and, and just explain that. So I started giving daily reminders now after Fajr. I pray Fajr and it'll be an hour after Fajr or whatever. Uh, and Alhamdulillah, we've, we've done like seven episodes thus far. So what, well, the, the topic I was actually going to talk about tomorrow, tomorrow morning in Shalotana, was the issue that du'at are facing. And it's very similar to what you mentioned now. I never thought about that aspect. And that is the ones who do the trash talking and like McGregor, when he was getting in a mauled by, by, by Khabib at the end of round three, he says, it's only business. And it's like, lighten up, buddy, you know, because it's only business. It's to make money. But that's what, you know, that's what people want. And that's what sells fights. So that's why they have the, the trash talking. Boxing is very known for that. Uh, whereas, you know, mixed martial arts or martial arts in general, and it is something, you know, a true martial artist, and they, they stay away from that. You find that a true martial artist, they're usually very humble. Even McGregor, the people who know him before, he, he used to be, you know, very humble and he's and, and he seemed to be a pretty nice guy. I know brothers who trained with him in Dublin and things like that, or they had met him and he, before he was famous and, and everyone praised him. But the trash talk thing, it, 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 it gets money, it gets views, it gets publicity. So the same thing now that we face is du'at. If we start to refute or respond, the amount of views that we have, it really goes up. But if we come and we, uh, you know, talk about, we explain a hadith, we explain an ayah, you'll find that people, you know, some people who are, you know, want to know about their deen, they're going to start to talk about it. You know, so the, the, like the main topic that I have, if you look at my YouTube channel, uh, in the beginning, I wasn't really that active. I started to be more active now, alhamdulillah, on the YouTube channel. Um, the highest views that I have was a video I did about Conor McGregor, which was why... I hate Conor McGregor because I'm an Irish Muslim who loves Jesus. And it's been a long title, but then that was the title. I just did it when I was sitting in, the, in, in a hotel. I was on a lecture tour in the UK. And, and I thought about it as I was leaving my house. And I had an Irish flag that someone gave me as a gift. I actually took it with me and I, I put it on as well. But people are like, you're, you're not Irish. You know, you can, you, you, you have the accent. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, my blood is Irish, but my accent obviously is American. because That's where I grew up. Uh, but alhamdulillah. So the, the point is that was like on my YouTube channel, it was 113,000 views. Um, Whereas on other channels, it, it was like, you know, one I saw was like 300,000 on, on 300,000 here and there. So it got, it got close to a million views on different channels. That was just for, the, for that video, that type of thing, which you know, that's, that's what the people want to see. Um, the one about Khabib was the second one before, which was like 13,000. Now the other day that about Mufti Mink with the knitting and all of this, that came in, uh, in, in second place on my channel. Because these are the type of things that, that I mean, people want to listen to. So what does this tell the day? I mean, this is really any... Any because the objective don't don't get me wrong because maybe the someone who's giving dawah now it doesn't mean that he wants the views, but he wants to reach a larger mass because that's more edger. And he, we're, we're we're doing that marketing and things like this now because we want to be able to reach a, a larger mass to benefit more of the ummah inshallah ta'ala. 
So one might think that, you know, if I'm doing things like this and I'm getting the views, this is the direction I'm going to, I'm going to go. But obviously I know my objective from my work and from my channels, you know, it's to, you know, to educate the ummah and to give reminders to myself and to the ummah. That, that's, that's, the, that's my objective. So, I mean, every now and then I might do some things which I find are beneficial. Uh, I've talked about Khabib several times because I found that there was a lot of benefit in that. And I noticed as well that many, uh, many people don't realize, and we were mentioned before, before we went live, you know, this issue about, uh, you know, many imams don't want to talk about the issue and you know, because, the, you know, the aspect of, you know, hitting in the face and things like this being haram. So we can't take the, the, the you know, talk about this. We need to leave it. And, and, and people, I, I know, but from me, you know, from the teachings of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, or it's a hadith, but it's it's the, the, the authentic. This hadith that I'm going to mention, it's not actually authentic. The isnad, but the but the scholar said the meaning of it is correct, and that is al hikmatul mu'min, which is the wisdom is the loss belonging of the believer, and it belongs to him. And he said wherever he finds it, that he takes it. So if we can find good anywhere, you'll see it like a lot of time on my, on my Twitter page, and I might mention a quote, you know, like for example, John Wooden. The, the famous UCLA basketball coach. I really love his quotes, you know. So I have a lot of his quotes I wrote down. Sometimes Mark Twain, Nelson Mandela, Malcolm X, you know, wherever, wherever I find it, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's Muslim. If I find something that's benefit, beneficial, a quote, I'm going to quote it because it's, it's something as a reminder for us and something for us to benefit from. So always, and this is what I try to do myself and I call others to do as well. Many times in my khutbas, I remember one time I, I, I stood up on the member, I was giving the khutbah in Ireland and I said, today's khutbah, is coming straight out of Hollywood. And I just saw the, you know, the faces of, of the chachas, the uncles and everyone, they, they just kind of, whoosh, everyone just kind of looked up like, you know, what's, what's this dude going to talk about today, right? And something from Hollywood. But what had happened is that Robin Williams, you know, the famous Hollywood actor, you know, the, the star, honestly, one of the, the best actors of all time. Here is someone who had, had killed himself at the age of 63, committed suicide. Why did he do that? That's an amazing topic for us to reflect on, someone who reached that status, that success, but yet took his own life. So that was my khutbah, and I, and, and, and I went in on, on that. So when I saw the, the issue of, of, of Khabib, and you know, leading up to the fight with McGregor, there was many uh, lessons that we started to learn about his life, many things we didn't know. Wait, I, I'm an MMA, MMA fan. I trained in the, uh, MMA myself. So I knew who Khabib was for a long time. You know, and, and I was a fan of McGregor before you know, what happened in, in the video where I mentioned about when he insulted Jesus, and that obviously turned me against him. And I said to the brothers right away, I said that he's going to be humiliated. And I mentioned that just like it happened to the Titanic, which any also it the it last sailed out from from Ireland as well, you know. Uh, and that's when when they met their doom when they, when they went out in the Atlantic, Subhanallah. But the the point is is that just like what did they say? They said that even God can't sink it. This is what the, this was their claim. Even God can't seek the time. That's how strong it was. So when he said the things he said about Jesus, I said he's going to be humiliated in the same way. And sure enough, Nate Diaz on short notice, you know, humiliated him in the, in the, in the second round, choked him out, man, pretty bad as well, you know. And he, so in the same thing, when, so I, I knew who Khabib was, and I was always a fan of Khabib. I really liked his style and, and how strong he was on the ground, the ground and pound, and really, really impressive. And so, but I, I didn't know a lot of it about his life. So I started to learn more and more about his life and I said, you know what? I said, there's a lot of things that we can, you know, benefit from in his life. Because if you look at the issue, you know, uh, generally speaking, most people who have reached that fame, most people who are professional athletes who are Muslims, they're a bit, you know, they're not really serious about their deen. There's a couple of them. 
Are there some of them who are about, you know, they have some good aspects in the Dean, but they still have some, you know, wishy-washy type things, you know, uh, some dodgy stuff that they do. But, you know, generally speaking, they have some good. I mean, we can give several examples and probably several of them popped into your mind when you just say that. But when you look at Khabib and he looks like someone who's, who, who's very serious about his religion and he has a lot of beautiful stances that we can benefit from. So that's when I just started to sit down and start to jot them down. And I remember one of the, uh, the duas, he, he approached me, he said, hey, if you made it seven or something like 54 is a bit too much. But I find myself, I kept going and going. And I, and, and I can see that you watched the video because the title, I think it says 54, right? But it's actually 56. So I mentioned the two more I had added, you know, I thought about at the end after I prepared the khutbah and I added those two. So it was actually, it was actually 56. And, and, and like we said, a lot of the times people see the issue of, you know, of what's happening, you know, hitting the face and things like this, that, you know, because that part of, and we know that's something haram in Islam. Therefore, you know, they completely, you know, wash everything away. They block everything that even the good that the brother has that we don't take from that, we can't benefit from him because he's doing something haram. I mean, that's, that's one aspect that's haram, but there's many other aspects which are permissible. And even the Prophet ﷺ, it's been confirmed that he wrestled ﷺ. So it's something that's, that's recommended, you know, martial arts to be able to defend yourself, to be strong. The strong believer is more beloved to Allah than the weak believer, as the Prophet ﷺ said. The Prophet ﷺ, when you look at him as a man, as a physique, how he was described, and if you were any, any I know you guys are into, um, you know, working out and things like that, you know, what is the main thing that really makes the physique really stick out and he, he there's several things but maybe the, the two main things would be the broad shoulders and having a flat stomach and that, that's gonna you're gonna have a, a top physique when you when you when you, when you have you know, broad shoulders and you have a flat stomach and when you look into the physique of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, this is what he talked about he had a flat stomach alayhi salatu wasalam, and his shoulders were, were, were broad so this is any any and he was strong you know and he was talking about standing in his 60s with the battle armor on the battlefield in battle, that's something that's not easy. I mean, most of us probably couldn't even walk with the battle armor now and nowadays, more or less any fight with it on. And he would race with his wife, والسلام, and even when he was, when it was older and his age. So he was someone who, who was very strong. And even as they mentioned in several of the hadith, when they tried to, 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 to break uh, the big boulder that they had found when they were building the ditch, that, they, that he, uh, none of them were able to break it. But the Prophet, والسلام, when he came and he swung down, he was able to break it, والسلام. You know, riding on, on the horse without the saddle, you know, and, and rushing into danger. You can see that the Prophet ﷺ, he was someone who was who was very strong. And we, as we mentioned, he wrestled. And he, a man by the name of uh, uh, Rukana, and he was someone who was like undefeated. No one could beat him. But yet the Prophet ﷺ beat him in wrestling. And he thought it was a fluke. And he said, okay, let's do it again. Let's bring it back. So he did it again. And he beat him again and beat him again. And so he beat him three times. So it shows you know, that the, the, the strength of the Prophet والسلام, uh, that he had, that's something that we all need to focus on. Now, the issue of hitting in the face, because this issue comes up all of the time, and we talked about, about a little bit about that before uh, with you guys. The origin of it is that it's haram. And it's hit in the face. Therefore, to be a, a full-time you know, MMA fighter, you know, where you do it as a living, that would make it haram. However, like I said about Khabib and the other brothers, I, I'm even friends with some brothers on Facebook and who are famous MMA fighters. And, you know, I always say that's between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know the ruling. So that's between you and Allah. I'm not going to come and, and sugarcoat it for you and say, well, because, you know, I'm a fan, I'm going to say it's, it's, it's halal. <laughs> that, that part of it is haram. 
just like I, I mentioned about uh, there's a video on my, on my channel watching UFC halal haram watching in, in, in general I believe it's in, because you you if you're someone who trains you're benefiting from different things different moves different techniques and even when you have someone like a commentator like like Joe Rogan who, who and, and the other ones you know who know what they're talking about and they're telling you explain the moves to you if, if you're someone who trains you can really benefit from that so there, there are benefits in watching it's not just you know entertainment as, as, as one might think there are benefits uh, alhamdulillah and watching but what about the ring girls i mentioned this in the video i don't know if you guys saw it or not and what about the ring girls what about the 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 female fighters okay and, and if, if if you guys are going to watch the the next ufc was it was it 259 three title fights how many of the title fights are halal for us to watch and how many are not huh? Yeah, can we watch the Nunes fight? Is it permissible for us to watch? No, this we have to we have to turn off. We have to mute it. We have to cover it up or something. It's not permissible for us to watch something like that. Even though it's, you, as an MMA fan and you're, you're hearing the commentary about this, someone who's supposed to be the greatest of all time, and it's, it's going to be an intriguing for people to watch. But here's where we have to know our boundaries. That as men, as Muslim men, we cannot watch that. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But the um, uh, the heavy the light heavyweight uh, Israel Anasanya, how you pronounce his name. Uh, that he is, you know, his fight, we can watch that. And also the, the what is it, the Bantam weight one as well. That's permissible. The other ones, that we can watch this other than the female fights. And then when the, the ring girl comes, uh, make sure you, you cover up. And you know, you know, she's coming. Alhamdulillah. So if you want to listen to the commentary, listen to the commentary. We know she's coming. And then they start calling her by name and things like this. You're not looking. Alhamdulillah. Is she gone? Is she gone? Is she gone? Alhamdulillah, she's gone. And then you, then you watch the fight from there in Sean Thomas. This is what, you know, we need to focus on. But when it comes to hitting the face, now training, here I take a different approach. I believe in training and sparring. If you're not sparring with someone who, who is an idiot, you know, because you have to, you, you always have that idiot in the gym, right? I remember we had a guy who visited us and, and we were training in Qatar and he was like um, some priest's son or something like this. And he, he seemed like an okay guy, but the guy was just like, you know, leg locking everyone. And, and he's a white belt, you know, and you're not allowed to leg, leg lock when you're a white belt, you know? So you as, as white belts and him being a white belt, no, no one's expecting to be leg locked, you know? But, He's been doing his homework on the leg locks, you know, and he's he's yeah, he's getting everyone's like, like, what are you doing, man? And and he, and he almost hurt a lot of us, honestly, because they, so if you have someone who's who's sparring like that and he's he's coming full force at you, then you can't train with someone like that. But if you're just regular sparring, when you have to, you know, get out of the way, because like the brother mentioned, that it, 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 in a real life situation, if you're not trained to be able to move, then you're gonna get hit, and it, and and then you might just freeze. Like the brother thought I froze earlier in the conversation. Huh? <laughs> I was sitting there. I was looking at my notes. He said, did you freeze? Huh? He thought I, I thought I froze on the screen because huh? I was reading. So it's one of the, it, it, that's what's going to happen. When you get in the real life situation, you're, you're going to freeze because you, you don't know how to move. And I remember when I used to train with my coach in Ireland in, in an MMA gym there that, you know, he would, he would let me know, you know, obviously we're going to train like this and you see what you have to do. If I moved the wrong way, the fist was coming this way, I got hit. But I mean, it wasn't hitting me like knocking out my teeth or breaking my nose or something like that. But I, I, I get hit in the face if I didn't if I didn't move fast enough. And so this this type of sport, I, I think, is OK in Shanghai. I don't think there's any big deal with that. But it has to be something, you know, not 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 too hardcore where, where you're going to get hurt or you're going to damage the face. And obviously, if you can wear a headgear, uh, just an, you know, a bit of extra protection as well. I think that's fine in Shanghai to, to train like that. But going all in, no, this is something because you can damage the face and then you, you know, fall into the things. That, I mean, even it's light sparring, sometimes you can get scratched up a bit, but that can happen, you know, all the time. If, if, if anyone who trains jujitsu, you're going to find that 
you know, I'm, I'm not training these days, obviously, with my, with my knee injury. But if I, if, you, if I were to take off my shirt, you find, you know, all my arms all bruised and, you know, pinches here. And you know, it's all black there. And, and that, that, that's how the arms are. And I, even like, I, when I look at the, the old pictures, you see all, you know, all the bruises there. Even I was doing Japanese jiu-jitsu, it was even worse because that was a lot of throws, you know. So we would, we would, I'd come home, you see, like, all my back and this and the side. It's all bruised all the time. But I'm there. I mean, you didn't really feel it. And you kind of get used to it. But that's just you know, the, the battle scars that you have to kind of get get along the way I mean, there's, there's no problem with that so every now and then you could fall on the mat as well and, and you could hurt your face or something like that but inshallah so it's not any it's not an issue inshallah on hill how do you feel about that what is that oh, there's, there's a lot going on in my head bro me too man hmm. so my question i got a question for you yeah. Um, would you not see the uh, benefit of hard sparring periodically? If there was an injury in it, and that's the thing, because you, you don't want to get injured, you don't want to hit the face hard. You know, that's that's the thing. And it, but it also it also depends as well. And he, you're talking about, you know, re regular people and everyday people. You're probably not going to need that much of it. And some, some light sparring might be better. And interesting enough, who, who was it the last fight we were watching? Was it Max Holloway who stopped sparring altogether, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but he went through that period yeah, yeah, where he was, he was sparring like almost That's every true. single day. Exactly. Yeah. So like the whole reason I bring that up is because life sparring, technical sparring is beautiful. I'll be the first one to say that. I love it because it really shows you like, okay, he's throwing this jab. I can slip. I can move out. I can counter can bring it down hit him with the cross there's so many things that you can like it's more of a mental aspect to it but then when it's like in a real life situation the other person is not gonna do light and technical the other person is not gonna uh not strike to your face and not try to hurt you that's true but but don't forget that most of the people on the street don't know how to fight and most of the people on the street if you were to just get in your stance and, and just and just dance around a bit, and if you and especially if you're someone who's in good shape and you train, you're gonna find that within 30 seconds, you know, them trying to throw haymakers and not hitting you, that they're out of breath, anyways. You know, if you if, if, if you know two minutes in and they can't hit you and they're frustrated with throwing these crazy haymakers and you don't know how to fight, they're not gonna be able to hit you. And and and, and most haymakers with, with the training that we have, even if it's light sparring, we're gonna be able to either, you know. To, to, to you know keep the distance away or maintain distance or to close the distance and it, with ease upon them and if they throw one you can go them you can take them down get on, get on top of them usually jujitsu there so I, the things that we that you have and a lot of on the street anyways a lot of things go out of the window but then again a lot of other things could be used and if you look for example and i'll give you a good example of that um i think all of you saw the video joe rogan talked about it on his podcast one time uh the guy with they're in the parking garage and the guy was trained, properly trained. And he was, uh, and what he did, he started going with the leg kick, you know, the leg kick now. And he, and, and, and he was in his proper stance. The dude Talking he was about the fighting, Mexican dude? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so yeah, he, yeah. The dude he was fighting with was smart. He understood that and he, that leg kick hurt. And the way he threw it, he realized that this guy is trained. So he was like, he's, he, he backed off and he, he said, he basically, he gave in, didn't want to fight. And, and that guy respected that. But then the big dude who was smoking the cigarette, you know, took off his shirt, took one, let that, one, one less drag of the cigarette, didn't know how to fight. You could see when he went with his feet the back way and what happened right away when he came and kicked him and then he fell down after that, mm -hmm. right? And ended up hitting his head. So you, you can see it, but 
when you have those skills and you're fighting against someone like that, and he, most likely that's all you're going to need. And then the reality, I mean, it's not like we're, we're fighting every day on the street and we don't want to also be the one who instigate fights. And only if you have to defend yourself. And this is what martial arts teaches us anyways, right? And it's, it's, that's actually very interesting that the, what martial arts teaches us is the same thing that the Sunnah teaches us. The Prophet والسلام, he said, That the one who is the, and look at the example he gave, he said, The strong one is not the one who can wrestle someone. He said, He's the one who can control himself at the time of anger. So beating someone down is not the one who's strong. The one who can control himself is the one who's strong. And, and all martial artists, and many of them, as my coach used to tell me, he said, they, they tell you don't use it on the street. He said, because it doesn't work. A lot of the traditional martial artists, you know, on the street really doesn't work. But he said, when he was talking about MMA, obviously it works on the street. But like my coach said, he said, if someone says something to me, he said, right away, he said, within the first few seconds, he said, I've seen seven ways I could take this guy out. Right away. He said, I could do this, this, this. I could hit him like this. I could take it down like this. You know, he said, I know I could really hurt this guy. He said, that knowledge, knowing that I could do it, he said, it's enough for me. He said, I don't have to actually implement it. But he said, if someone comes to me, he said, that's going to be a different story. If he throws at me, there's something different. But if he just talks, I might say something back. I hold my ground. I'm not going to, not going to be a punk, obviously. But he's not going to instigate the fight. But if he said, if someone swings at me, I'm going to, I'm going to take him out. And, <laughs> you know, some, something very interesting that um, he awarded one of our, uh, one, one of the, the kids who was training with my son. Um, he was a, and, you know, he was a, he was a Polish boy and, uh, you know, had moved to Ireland and, you know, he, he was, a, you know, has little glasses on, thing, cute little boy, mashallah. But, uh, you know, maybe the, so the bullies picked on him. You know, sometimes the guy with the, the guys with the glasses and stuff like that look like a little nerdish or whatever. So, and he, I mean, it's nothing wrong with having glasses, but you know how kids are sometimes, you know. So the, the point is, is that he was getting bullied by this kid. His family had brought him to train when he was training with my son there, you know, for, for about a year in the gym. So he, he knew his stuff. So the guy came in, he just, he grabbed him, did like, an, you know, a proper takedown. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu takedown, got on top of him, you know, mounted him, controlled him, hit him a few times when he, when he was in full mount, made the, the bully cry. Now, the bully thought it was a fluke, came back later for a second dose, got the same treatment, you know, <laughs> got the same treatment from the boy, did the same exact thing to him again. So what happened, he said, no, if, if you were to go to some, some of the traditional arts and the, the dojos around us, they would have been very upset that you used this on the street. Our coach, he said, no, he said, this is what we train you for. If someone attacks you, that you put them down, you put them in their place. And he said, therefore, we, we made a celebration for him, for him, for all the other kids to see and, and, and he, to applaud him for his bravery and for standing up for himself, because this is what we want. But this is the only time we're going to use it. So it's not like it's not like someone who, um, you know, you're going to have fights on the street a lot. And, he, and he, if we were to be honest, and he, how many fights have, have, we, have you had on the streets in your life? And, he, and when you're younger, maybe more. As you get a bit older, you know, you, you become a bit more wise or you're able to kind of, you know, de-escalate the problems a bit more with a bit of hikmah and things like that. But you still have the ability, if you have to do it, uh, that you're going to do it. And, you know, I've ran into several cases, you know, here and there, but alhamdulillah, nothing ever came out, came out of it. But you know, I think with the basic skills you have, then that's going to be enough. There's another scenario for, for the sparring. If someone, for example, is a soldier, someone's, he's a Marine, he's, you know, special forces or, or, or just an, uh, in the military, whatever country he's from. Here, you might need to do something more because that's, that's a person who's going to be on the battlefield, right? 
you know, so that's why you see sometimes the Marines and you know people in the army and things like that, they might train a bit harder. And here you might, you might go full out sparring sometimes, like you mentioned, because here that obviously these people are going to be on a battlefield. They could, you know, come face to face combat. Just like when, you, when we studied um, uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu, I mean, which is the origin of jiu-jitsu. Many people don't know that. I didn't know it either. I went to the, the, the jiu-jitsu club thinking I was going to be training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. They said that's something good when you're in your, in your 40s. It's on the ground. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, well, it's not really that, I would say it's that easier, but uh, anyways, maybe you can do it for longer, I guess, once you get good at it. So, but I found myself getting thrown around all the time, like I was in a judo club, you know, not, but then I realized it was actually Japanese jiu-jitsu, what, what is the origin? But if you study it, what is Japanese jiu-jitsu? It is the art of the samurai warrior. They came up with this art, if they were to lose their weapon on the battlefield, how to defend themselves with their hands. So this is, uh, you know, for, for soldiers, they need these things. Even I was debating recently with some brothers about the issue of using steroids. And is it something that is permissible in Islam? Uh, I personally believe if, you, if someone is, is doing it uh, in a way that is, you know, not overboard, like the bodybuilders who do, you know, it's, it's, that's obviously too much. And that definitely can be harmful. If, if you do anything too much, you know, it can be harmful. If you drink too many Pepsis a day, that can be harmful. Uh, if you have too many donuts, it's going to be harmful, right? So all of these things are going to harm your body if you do it. But if you have a Pepsi every now and then, a donut every now and then, it's not really going to, going to hurt you if you're eating healthy and you're exercising. Uh, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't harm you. Um, uh, so many, if someone, and if you really study in, in detail, and the harms, the things about steroids, why it's so, because it's forbidden. You can, I don't know what the laws are in Canada. Maybe it's more lax. And I know it in, in Europe it is, especially for using. Uh, selling it's not, but I think uh, the using, you're allowed to use it in, in Europe. Uh, but can't sell. That's my understanding in most countries. The point is, is that if someone is using it, you know, the, an aspirin is more harmful. I mean, if you want to be honest, than steroids in a lot of cases. So, I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to be that dangerous. Um, so it could be permissible. Is it something we recommend though? We say no. And if you're a normal person, why would you want to use PEDs? It's never really not any, most people don't need it. Maybe when you get a bit older, you might need a, a little testosterone or something like that. That's, that's a, some TRT. That, that might be different. But in a, a younger brother who, who doesn't really need that, and he, but then again, I give the example, if someone, for example, special forces soldiers who, know, who go behind the enemy lines, that gives them the extra, the extra push. Because it doesn't have to be someone who's, you know, who's jacked, he's, he's huge. Who uses, who, look at Lance Armstrong, for example, right? <laughs> How skinny he was, and he was using PEDs, right? So this is something, and I think the origin of it, it's not something that's haram, but it's not something that's recommended as there could be harms for it, but if someone were to need it. And even some cases, like for example, for recovery, if you look like uh, you know, Anderson Silva after he, he broke his leg, and I don't know how long it was, like he was back, like, it was like eight, 10 months he was back or, or more, more or less, uh, but he recovered too fast. You know, that, that's not natural, an, an injury like that to recover fast. And then, you know, miraculously he gets busted, you know, after the thing for tested positive, of course it is. There's no way he could recover that fast without without using something. But here to recover from injury like that, there's no problem with that. So and you need to see any of these type of things, and you look at it from from the whole scope. And maybe general people say no, but there might be certain people who might you know benefit from it and could use it in certain cases. A lot of those best. There's a lot of nuances, and I learned that with a, a video I saw of you, Shake, with uh, I think it was Psalm 21. And you mentioned very clearly, it ties into what we were discussing prior to this, that the people that really know how to fight, they don't go out of their way to start fights. It's always the people that really don't know how to fight that are just ready to throw hands. 
exactly. And you can see when they throw hands, they don't know what they're doing. Most of them, yeah. <laughs> right away from the form, and and that that is someone who's who who is trained. That kind of you know makes you relax, you know. Like they give the story of, of the Mexican guy in the girl when he kicked. You know, this is a problem now because this guy this guy knows what he's doing, right? But and he's someone else who's throwing the haymakers and stuff like that. You know, that's that person's never trained, doesn't know how to hit, doesn't know how to fight, and he's gonna most likely he's gonna burn out in, in within a couple of minutes anyways. And it's, I don't know. Uh, Rami, so you said your phone battery is low. Yeah, my, my phone's dying, but there was a question I wanted to ask. Just in case it does die, I can watch it back in Shotlock. So, young men, Muslim men, should learn how to fight, correct? Of, of course. I mean, to, to know how to fight, to know how to defend yourself is something yeah. you need to, to, to be in shape, work out. Uh, this, this is what we need to be in. We need to be encouraging our youth to do. And the thing is, with our youth today, you know, you look at the, you look at the reality of the of the youth. There's so much free time. There's so much free time that they have, and so much negativity that can be put in that free time. And that's what's happening. You know, they're sitting in front of devices. They're getting fat. They're getting out of shape. They're watching things they shouldn't be watching. So this is the type of thing that we should be encouraging them to do. And honestly, when it comes to, and I'll tell you a story, very interesting. Um, when one of the best Islamic schools, which was in India the school of Dr. Zakir Naik was established, you know, they came to the physical education department. What do we do? So they went to some specialists and from the people they asked for advice was uh, our Sheikh Dr. Bilal Phillips. So, you know, what should we do? And, you know, Dr. Bilal, he's a black belt, mashallah. So they, he, they asked him, what should we do? And he said, well, you can do what most, you know, the, and the, they do in the Arab and Muslim countries, which is to let them play soccer, let them play football, right? So they can have very strong legs. So when the enemy comes, they can run away fast. Huh? <laughs> he said, or you can teach them something that will benefit them, which is martial arts. And subhanAllah, I want you to look at something very important. It's not just the issue of the confidence that it gives them. The, I guess that's the dead battery, huh? Uh, looks like it. Huh? <laughs> the, the confidence that it gives them. Oh, no, he's back, mashallah. The confidence that it gives them the strength that it gives them, the clarity of thought, uh, strengthen their body. When you have a strong body, you have a strong mind. It puts their their, their, their time into something productive instead of it being something and that, that, that's not productive. Um, and I remember when I was when I was a kid, you know, it was totally different. I, mean, I, I, would, I had all the devices, you know, we had at first we had Atari, then we had Nintendo, then we had Sega and PlayStation. That stuff wasn't around. Xbox wasn't around during my time. But I had all of those things, but I rarely play with them. You know, rarely I, I would play with them. Why? Because I was always outside. I was involved in sports. I was riding my bike. I was active outside. That, that's, that's natural how a kid should be. The situation they're in today is not natural for a child to be in that situation, uh, to be in front of a device, to always be in the house, to always be, you know, cooped up like that. The One of the beauties of martial arts as well, not just for that time frame, when they become older as well. Now, the difference between martial arts and other sports, I'm not saying I, I encourage any type of sport, which, you know, uh, they put their, 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 they're using their body. It's better than wasting their time in front of a device, honestly. Um, my son, for example, wants to play football. I, I don't really, I'm not a, a football meaning soccer, obviously, in this part of the world. I don't really, uh, you know, I don't really like it. I'm not really a big fan. I want them to go to the dojo. But if that's something they want to do, and as long as they train some martial arts, then they have the ability to do that. It's no problem with me. I'm, I, they're free to do that if that's what they want to do. Um, I think our brother, I think his mother was there with him. He asked the question about the uh, martial arts. Uh, I thought I heard in the background. <laughs> so, a Muslim man should train martial arts. Huh? I don't know if he was asking for his mom. Uh, 
as she was hearing her, uh, 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 what was the, the issue there. So I heard, I heard some, some people talking in the background as he was asking this one line. And it, but what, what I was saying is that the longevity of martial arts, you'll find that many um, jiu-jitsu practitioners, and if you look, for example, I, the guy I don't know his, 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 um, his real name, the actor, Al Bundy, we call him. I don't know if you, you guys, before you guys age, you know, the, uh, the Bundys or whatever the, the TV show is called. Anyway, he was Al Bundy anyways in the TV show. It was like in the, was it, 80s or 90s, I think it was. So he's now, I think he's like 70 or something, but he's, he's a black belt and he's, he's, he's still training jiu-jitsu. Uh, Dr. Bilal Phillips, and he black belt still trains and he's still in very good shape on Lomobotic. Uh, Sheikh Hussein Yee, black belt, still trains and in and, and, and good shape. So martial arts, there's a, there's a type of longevity where you can do it. How long can you play basketball for? And I'm talking about really for like a, a health benefits. And you, you might pay some, play some pickup games in your 50, 60. But the thing is, you, you can continue to go to the gym. You can continue to lift weights when you're 60, 70, 80 years old. You continue to do it, obviously. Your body will stay strong. And this. You continue to do, do the martial arts and he, uh, to, to a level, obviously. And he, you'll, you'll see that many people in the, in the very old are still rolling, still doing jiu-jitsu. They're still, they're still doing martial arts because the, the, the body can handle that. It's something natural for the body. So for the longevity of, of the body health-wise, martial arts are also the best thing we can do and to, to teach our children. And well, I, I wish the, the, the time and the effort that I put into basketball when I was young, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I really loved it. I'm still you know, a, big, a big basketball fan. I rarely play, unfortunately. But um, and if, if, if I put those in hours and hours every single day, if I put that into learning a martial art, you know, where would I be now? And I could still be using that. I could still be using that even, even till today. Alhamdulillah. So I think this is what I think the main focus for our kids. And it should be something like martial arts. If they have other inclinations where they're inclined to play other sports, I think we should support them in that as well. If they're doing something that that is, you know, productive and, mm-hmm. um, you know, because their time is just being wasted and they're sitting in front of their devices and it, it's ruining them. And the, the, the founders of Apple, Steve Jobs, uh, Bill Gates of Microsoft, and, it, and they said, obviously, in, in, the, in the reports or the stories, the articles that they wrote about them, they said that they only allow their children 20 minutes a day on the iPad. They're the ones. They're the ones who created this, and they're the ones who I mean, limit their children. But yet we give our children unlimited access. They sit there for, you know, they, they might sit there for twenty hours a day. Some kids, Subhanallah. And, and what is that doing to the to their brain? How is it ruining their brain? Especially the younger ones. It's even worse, obviously. Uh, what is that doing to the development of the brain and, and the harm it's doing to their brain? And um, you know, not doing something that's really productive for them. Allahumma So what we really need to focus is very very important for and also it, it, it creates a form, you know. Of, of masculinity as well, where they're going to be strong as well, and I think that's also we've you know we've talked about that before, um, and you've talked about with some of the other guests as well. That's a very important aspect, where something that's missing, you know, being being a rajal, being a man, uh, that's missing in the, in the lives of of the boys today. And then, but even the girls, by the way, I think the, the girls is very important for them to train as well. And if you look on my um, if you look on on my page, um, I, I've talked about this before, even like on my on my Instagram page. There's a picture of matching geese, one, one for me, one for my wife, and she was training as well. And, you know, I should be doing more with her, but I, you know, training her as well to, to be able to defend herself. One of, the, one of the, the projects we have, I haven't been doing a good job of it, but it's one of the projects alhamdulillah, that we have is training with her. We even had the jujitsu mats at home and things like that for us to be able to train at home together, alhamdulillah. And um, uh, even I, I, I did a video about uh, our sister, who is the, the wife of, of our coach here in Qatar, 
who is who was who was the first Niqabi black belt in in in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I did a, a YouTube video about her. Something amazing, amazing accomplished. So even our sisters need to learn because and he, it's not all the time where, where the where the husband or the brother is going to be their defender. What if something happens? What if she has to defend herself? And wouldn't that be awesome if if uh, you know a Niqabi sister, you know, she got in her stance, you know. And, and that happened before. I do, also, I posted this on my page as well. There was a niqabi says, I think she put a key in her hand or something like that. And she beat up this dude who was trying to attack her and his face was all messed up and stuff like this. And she was a niqabi sister. A niqabi, hijabi, whatever she is. But the point is, is that, you know, being able to defend, defend herself if she needs to, very important. Also, it's going to keep her body strong. And because a lot, a lot of, even a lot of the, the marital problems that we have and we, we, we counsel is that a lot of times the sisters get out of shape. The sisters, are not, they're not in shape. The sisters that you know that they don't take care of themselves because they're they're not exercising, they're not training, and just you know it's just the house, the kids, the house, the kids dealing with the, with the husband, you know. So she's 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 busy with all of this, and she's not taking care of herself, right? So any but but if she can train as well a couple of times a week, it's going to help her stay in shape. It's going to help her you know deal with the stress. It's going to help her be able to defend herself if she has to as well. Yo, on her. Aren't you just moving yeah, right now? And the amount of knowledge and wisdom. Well, I, I did want to... I love the wisdom, by the way. I love it. Alhamdulillah. One thing that I did want to say, though, is you were saying about uh, people on the streets not really knowing much. And, like, if you learn a little bit, well, you're pretty much, like, ahead of them. And it's like, I get that. But at the same time, like, if you only learn technique, you only spar very light. Like, this is an average Joe. This is where you're at. You know, like, you know more. You've trained it. But once you get in the situation of an actual fight, and, again, it's not that we're trying to go for a fight. It's not that we're looking for a fight. But if a fight occurs, that little bit of a edge that you have goes away because you've never experienced the pressure of being in that real situation where it's like in a hard sparring session. Again, not something that is feasible to be done every single day. But if it's done periodically, it shows the individual what it's like in a very controlled environment, that pressure in a situation like that to where, okay, you may never use it, right? We may never use it in our lifetime, but it's better to have something and not need it than need it and not have it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but if any, if you look at the, the train that most of us do, it includes jiu-jitsu. And jiu-jitsu, we, we go pretty any... Some might go 100% when they, when they roll. Some might go like 70%. And like, uh, you know, Faris Al-Dhahabi, who's there with you guys in, uh, in Canada. And he, that's his philosophy, is it? And not to go 100% so you can roll more, obviously. So, I mean, depending on, on how you roll. But nonetheless, even if you roll 70%, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty, you know, uh, full on, you know. You're, you're going at Yeah, it. yeah, for sure. So, but that's, yeah. that's BJJ. And, and, and just, 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 any, as they say, most fights end up on the, on the ground. And then at the end, what do you want to do? And he, BJJ is, 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 is the best way, obviously, I think, for self-defense. And then if you add to that, obviously, it's, you know, just some regular grappling, uh, you know, striking. You know, these are, and obviously, if you get, get some Muay Thai in there as well, those type of things, to be more, more well-rounded. Well, well, uh, well if, and he, don't forget that, where's the strongest, who are the smartest, the best fighters are the smartest fighters. And he, obviously, the strongest asset that the warrior has, where's in the mind, right? So this is the strongest, the strongest thing. So if you can control yourself and you can be focused at that time, this is what you have. This this one has to has to click in. And something very interesting with that 
in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, a lady she was crying over over the death of her son at the grave, and he went to advise her, and she didn't know who he was. She didn't look up. You know, she knows the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. She was like, you know, get away from me. Who, who are you to advise me, right? And the people when they saw it, and he, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he went away. You know, and then the people said, you know who that was? That was the Prophet alayhi salatu wasallam. And she was like shocked. I couldn't be. So she raced behind him, and she said, you know that, uh, you know. You know, for the advice, thank you, and I'm going to be patient. And he said a very valuable lesson to her for all of the ummah. He said, الأولى, That the patience, the real patient, where does it come? It comes at the time of the calamity when it hits. That's when you're judged for the patient. But if you freak out and start throwing things, and then you know, a couple of hours later, alhamdulillah, you calm down, inshallah, you can get rewarded for that. But the real reward, you've already lost that because you weren't patient at the time. So the same thing now is that you have to be intelligent right away. And as we mentioned, someone who knows how to fight, the thing is, you're not going to want to fight anyways. And this is a mesquite. I'm not really interested in fighting. But if, if he starts to come, then you have to, you know, what is the key thing now? It has, it has to click in. The key thing now is for me to maintain the distance and get, uh, let him wear himself out. It might be closed quarters. I'm thinking now, because as you're talking, I'm thinking outside of my hotel room here. For example, uh, I, I'm in a situation. And that's happened before. I remember there was, um, I was walking with my son and um, I was wearing my thobe, my Islamic attire. And I was in London and there's one of those you know, racist like skinhead guys with all the tattoos and he's looking at me like this and I'm just like, <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm just trying to control myself, you know, but that, that was a close quarter. No one was around. It was a hotel room, the floor upstairs, you know, it's like it's going to get broken up. You know, there's, there's no one there to break that fight up and, and not quickly anyways. So this is, you might need, as you said, in that situation, I can understand where you're coming from, but I still can't see that, that I think it, I, I do believe it's going to be enough. It's going to be enough. The, the, the basics that you have, you know, you're rolling full force in jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, you're, you're sparring, you're boxing. Like I said, you'll be, you're going to be able to read. If he's throwing haymakers, you're going to know how to deal with it. And if you train for those situations, I think, inshallah, it's going to click in, inshallah. You're going to be okay, inshallah. And at the end of the day, if someone gets you with a good one, even if you're someone who's trained, you can still go to sleep, can't you? Huh? Yeah, yeah. But the, the be- thing that I want to shed light on here is um, you said all fights – they end up going to the ground, but they, they start, say a lot of it. They start no, on. They start the standing feet. up. Yeah. And it starts standing up, and like I want you to understand too, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you're also sparring in that. Now, there's no striking in the face, at least inherently. Like you're not trying to strike someone in the face. You you're trying to do submissions. You're trying to do locks. You're trying to do yeah. cranks, yeah. stuff like that. So, if you're sparring, right? If you're rolling with someone and you're going like 20 percent, right? Very light, very technical. You're just doing it so you can like see openings. You can learn how to uh, escape, defend, uh, pass guard, and all that stuff, right? If you do that, if you only train at twenty percent, and then let's say a situation arises where now you have to roll, like bro, the the person might not know anything about rolling, but the fact that you've never actually tried to roll with someone who's who's alive, who's moving, like yes, this person that you're rolling with, they know what they're doing, so. They're also going to try to uh, play this game of chess with you. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you both are going 70%. You both are playing this game of chess with each other. You get someone on the street, they don't know this game of chess. You know the game of chess, but you only know it from a 10 to 20% uh, standby point. So now you get with them on the ground, and you, you're in the moment, you, you're not going to be able to think clearly because you've never been in a situation where you had that much pressure. Yeah, I, I don't know, bro. I mean, look, look, at, look at a lot of the videos, you know, uh, online where people who just had some basic jujitsu 
and they they put it they put it to work you know arm bars uh you know chokes and it just just stuff any i'm just i'm just thinking about video after video that i've seen where, where people ha- have used it like you know really strategically on the streets and a yeah, lot of them you know, trained for it that's the thing yeah yeah they're, they're, they're training for it just like we would in 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 the gym for jiu-jitsu because jiu-jitsu at the end you roll this is the thing about jiu-jitsu it's the same thing you're talking about striking. You you roll, and and a lot of people are rolling with you. They're rolling 100. Maybe if it's if it's a more advanced belt, yes, they're going to be a bit more merciful with you. I was just, I was looking at. I just posted a video. I was training in 2019 on, on my my Instagram and Facebook. Uh, it was just a little. I compiled just some of the videos. I was a bit slow and a bit, but I'm learning obviously. But one of the videos where I didn't post, maybe I'll post in a couple of days. I was rolling with my coach. He's a black belt, and he, he's a professional MMA fighter as well. Um, he he. Um, he had my arm, you know, and it's just like, you, you would think that would be something you could get away from, but I, I couldn't get away from him. And I'm moving everywhere. He's, so he's just having fun with me on the mat, right? He understands he's, he's an advanced and he's black, but he's a pressure MMA fighter. You know, says I'm a, I'm a white belt trying to learn the, you know, the basic techniques. So, and he, but he just grabbed my arm and I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get it away from him. SubhanAllah. So that just, and so someone at that level, obviously they're not going to go full force with you, but other, other white belts and things like that, obviously they're going to even some blue belts, they might pick you apart a bit as well, and so, but so you're gonna you're gonna find that you know they'll they'll go uh, they're gonna roll with you in a full force a lot of them, so this, so you're gonna have that you know that training especially if you if you train a lot, and I think it just it just because it's it's um the the you know what do they call it the muscle muscle memory memory mm-hmm. uh, muscle I'm memory yeah. Yeah. muscle memory where where it, where it clicks in that's how jujitsu works it's just it's just repetition repetition repetition. After you're doing all that repetition, it's it, it clicks in automatically. How do you know when you're going to escape? How do you know and you to how to you know to, to pull guard to you know to, to get out of someone's guard? You it's just that 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 repetition of doing it time and time again, the training the techniques and then implementing it on, on the mat. So that on the street and, and and most people, like for example, any how to get over someone's guard and to get into to side control, any that's something that used to be difficult for me, but then. And it, just openings, it starts to come natural. How just to, how to slide over and, and to get into the, get into the slide control, and then to, to lock him down so he can't get out. I'm, the, I'm a bit of a bigger guy, so I know how to use my weight a, a bit more. And I, and I started to see I could use that more and more to my advantage as I, as I started to learn more. So Alhamdulillah, and once you start to learn those things, they'll click in. Inshallah, Yeah, but you're, you're not convinced, I'm but I'm, I'm convinced. Nah, I'm, I'm just look. I'm respectfully disagreeing, or I'm respectfully just trying to shed light on. Uh, this perspective here like am I right am I wrong that's that's for the creator to judge but I'm just trying to shed light on it, you know and like again what you're saying like it's all true if someone learns the basics of jujitsu if Faya begins to learn the basics of jujitsu give him a few months and he's going to be able to put someone in a lock on the street if something were to happen but that comes from the training that comes from the repetition in the training in the rolling the sparring and that sparring like you said the, the higher belts, they'll go easy on you because they already know what they're doing. So they're just kind of playing with you. They're trying to work their technique. You go against another white belt, you guys are going almost full force. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like that's where you learn. That's where you you develop the uh, it's, it's called subconscious skill, but mind, mind muscle connection, uh, muscle memory. But it's, it's subconscious skill where you do something in a situation so much that it just locks in and you just know how to do it without thinking about it. Where it's like, okay, well, now if you put striking in the same light, 
Like, well, then it makes sense if you're going full force in jujitsu. In jujitsu, you can go full force more often because it's it's more forgiving and people are more understanding. But if you have the training partners in striking that are also very understanding and they know, you know, it's not an ego match. You're not you're not trying to win this match against this person, but you guys are legitimately training for training purposes. I myself see uh, a very big benefit in this for the person to develop that subconscious skill, that muscle memory like I, to where it could I, I, I agree with that the situation. As long, as long as it's not too hard, as like I said from the beginning, I have no, it doesn't have to be like light sparring. No, it can, you can be like proper sparring. That's what I'm talking about when I said in the beginning. But it can't be, you know, like, you know, like a slugfest. This is what I'm saying. Mm. If it, but if it's something that's, you know, I'm not talking about just like, you know, light taps. And I'm like, no, if you, you could properly spar, I think, you know, and it, sometimes I mean, the, the, for the more technical type of sparring, that would be the thing you would probably do more. But if you want to do it a bit more full force sometime, I'm cool with that. I have no problem with that. But obviously, it, it, it has to be, like you said, the, the, the condition has to be with a partner who's understanding, who's not like my coach. I was like, if I didn't move the right way, my coach is hitting me in the face. But he's not going to hit me in the face where I'm going to have to get stitches in my lip each time, where I'm going to lose a tooth, you know, where I'm going to have a, a broken nose and a black eye each time he hits me. No. I mean, it hurt. I mean, I'm getting hit in the face. I'm not going to say it didn't hurt, you know, but, but that, that would remind you once again that, that when that, this way, you have to move that way because it's coming that way. And then and you, have to, you have to move back. I might have to duck now, duck under, you know, th this is the thing. So this is the, the like you said, you're not going to be able to learn that if, if it doesn't come at you. And from, from the heavy bag and just, you know, shadow boxing, you're not going to be able to learn that. That's true. I guess the reason I'm, I feel so strongly about this and um, I speak in this light or in this way is because, you know, I'm not just going into uh, professional fighting for money or for fame or anything like that or for ego. It's more so like I want to learn the ins and outs. I want to know what really works. You know, like I want to know 100% what really works. And if I have to go through these situations in the most controlled environments that I can possibly get, then... Tell us, I'll do that just so I can teach other people and show them what really works. So I, one thing is like I never want to lead someone astray. If I'm showing someone self-defense, I don't want to show you something that when the time comes, you go to use it and it doesn't work at all. Yeah, that, that was if you saw the the pot one of the podcasts uh, our brother Fahri Zahabi did with uh, one of the Muslim brothers in the UK, and when they talked about this issue, that was the logic that he used as well. Any, but I mean, like I said, I, I think you know that question has been answered. And which one is the because he, he said which one is the superior martial art, you know? But I mean, I, I think you have to join all of them together. I don't think it's enough to have one, obviously. And like I said, it stand, it starts standing. So even if you if you're good on the ground, if you don't have a standing game, if you don't have a stand up game, then any obviously even the grappling to be able to take someone down, um, you you need that ability to be able to take someone down to be able to use your ground game more. So you need to be well-rounded, obviously, and you need to know all of them. I mean, if, if you're someone who's specializing in it, then obviously you need to go deeper than 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 someone who, who's not. And even myself, that's one of the things because I have a, I have a private coach who I train with, Dagestani brother, and uh, I, so I, I enjoy the private training. I learn the techniques, but I, I I realized, I mean, I got injured in the end, so I had to I had to you know take some time off. But I realized in the back of my mind when I go back, I have to get back on the mat, have, have to start rolling again. Which is you know something that especially in the beginning when you're going with people more advanced and it's 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 a big challenge and most people quit jujitsu in the beginning 
because you just get you get smashed in the beginning and then you, you even you might you might know some martial arts but you just get completely smashed but then when you start to learn a bit you know you, you have someone else that you submit um i remember i was training with, with one guy he was actually much bigger than me um and he but he was more consistent i'm always traveling with the dow and things like this so i can't be as consistent as i wanted to be as i want to be so i mean he, he had earned a few stripes on his white belt and i still i still don't have any stripes you know uh, I, I got up to in Japanese just so I got up to yellow belt and I became I was qualified to become an orange belt, which is the third level. Uh, but I, I traveled during the exam time, so I couldn't take my exam. But I, I definitely would have got it, inshallah, if I if I had stayed. But when it came when it came to Jap uh, to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I trained mostly MMA more than I trained. You know, and then I trained with the start training with no gi here. So it was like the gi training. I wasn't enough. But when I came back to the to the dojo and I was training with him, you know, he was much bigger than me. You know, he was probably about like 130 kgs. It's a big guy, but I was able to, you know, to hold my own, you know, even though he had been consistently training. And I, even I saw him one time when he couldn't get me off of him because most people, when he would jump on them being 130 kgs, he would just pull them down and like ragdoll them onto the ground. But he wasn't able to do that to me, you know, even though he outweighed me by about 30 kgs. <laughs> but, uh, and then I was able to get on top of him. He, was, he struggled a bit with me as well, thinking he would be able to be in the bigger guy. He would be able to, um, to, uh, to, to be able to, you know, to, to beat me easy, especially because now he's more advanced. But obviously, alhamdulillah, when, it, I, when you, that, that for me, and just, you know, some of the other matches, when you start finally start to win some things, you're like, wow, you know, after I've been smashed, you know, six months, everybody, everyone beats me, you know, they have these little guys just like throwing me around. And then I start to realize, and like you said, it starts to come. I'm like, how can this guy who weighs like 65 kgs throw me around like I'm, I'm, I'm a doll, you know, like really just like, whew, I'm in the air. And then you start to realize that when I come around like this, I have to just put my weight down a bit like this to the button. He's not going to be able to throw me like that. And then you start to learn. It starts to become natural. Okay, so then, and, and it starts to become more enjoyable. But the beginning, obviously, that's the that's the challenge. So anyone who, who hasn't trained before, you hear a lot about jujitsu. Like the first six months, that's that's the real challenge. And I know for myself now, when I get back on the mat, not having trained like in over a year, you know, COVID hit us, and then you know, I hurt my knee, had surgery, you know, still recovering. I know when I get back on the mat, it's gonna be like, oh, back to not zero zero. I'm mean, have some experience and I you know I have some knowledge, but just the, the muscle memory is gonna be gone and just getting it back. It's going to take some time. It's going to be another challenge, but it's, it's fun. I enjoyed it. Alhamdulillah. Before we end this episode, Rami had a question before he left that, you know, all that being said, how can we start learning MMA? What can we do as parents, kids? Um, maybe if we never got taught and how do we start now? Where, where do we go from here? You know, Alhamdulillah. I think, you know, it's not difficult to learn. You just have to start. Uh, the, the biggest challenge, like I said, it's, it's going to be difficult in the beginning. And especially something like jujitsu, where, where you realize you, you have to have in your mind that you're going to get smashed in the beginning. Okay. And I remember there was um, uh, a Brazilian dude I trained with like the first time I ever went or first or second time I ever, ever rolled in Brazilian jujitsu. And um, he was a black belt in, in judo. And I think he was very advanced in, in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, maybe like a brown belt. I think he's a black belt now. So he got me into a choke. And I mean, I don't think he meant to, to put it on that hard, but it's just like, you know, if like, and, it, and the thing I'm like, I'm, I'm a public speaker too. So I need my throat, man, you know? And like for two weeks I could feel it, you know? So many people with, with an experience like that wouldn't want to go back. And then one of the worst feelings, honestly, when you train jujitsu is, is having someone on top of you and not being able to get them off, you know? And that, so, so the, the feeling of just getting humiliated, you know? Uh, it's, it's something that's not easy in the beginning. So it's, it's a difficult journey in the beginning, but just like anything in life, if you're going to start with MMA, you have to start. 
you know, find a, a, a good dojo wherever you are. Some might just be BJJ, so you might have to go somewhere else. And if you look, if you don't find like a, a true MMA gym, then I would recommend doing BJJ and then maybe doing some some Muay Thai or, so, or some kickboxing uh, and, and mixing between that. Even you could do some boxing as well. I mean, if you have the kickboxing along with the BJJ, I think that, inshallah, uh, will be sufficient. Obviously, if you could then add to that a bit of, you know, grappling. I benefited a lot from my, my coach, the Dagestani. He's a brown belt in, uh, in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu. And obviously the wrestling, it's just, and I think part of their DNA, they, they do it since they were, they were ki their kids, mashallah. And I don't know if you guys saw the video with the little kid when they're throwing the punch the other day. It went pretty viral. But if you look at the four, man, just the over, it's like, wow, it's really good, man. So it's like something, I don't know, did, did, did his father trade him how to do that or just something he has? And I'm there, my, my, my sons, they started with, uh, with uh, MMA, along with BJJ, depending on where we were in the world. Um, they started with, uh, so from the time they were four, four years old, they started, uh, both of them, two, two of my sons, I'm there. Some of my older sons, they're, they're starting now. But these ones, they started since they were four. Obviously, the driving force behind that, maybe the original was me, along with their mother, but their mother was the one who was always taking them. Their mother was the one who found uh, the MMA gym in, in the local area where we were living in Ireland. And even because I benefited a lot from the coach, I became very close to him. I did a lot of private training with him and the dojo as well. So she would always remind me of that, you know, that I'm the one who found the gym, you know, alhamdulillah. So we, we all benefited a lot, you know, from, from training there. And a very nice guy, very respectful guy. Benefited a lot from him, alhamdulillah. Uh, so it just, it just started in, in, in getting on, on the mission and just anything in life. Just, just you, 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 you just put the put it put it into action. Let the ball start rolling, and just just do it as as Nike says. You know, this it's how cliche it is, but that's the reality. Is that you just have to do it. You have to start, and you have to be consistent. Anything in life, it all comes with a consistency. And I remember that you know I could show you guys some pictures when I when I started like like losing weight and I started training. Um, some of the best shape that I've ever been in. It's always when I'm consistent. When I'm not consistent, I kind of you know you'll see like especially because anyone when you look at your physique. You, you might have some strong areas here and there. So that, that might remain. But the other areas, they kind of, you know, you kind of lose your gains here and there and you don't, you don't see it. But when, you, when you're consistent, that's when you, when you, when you see in, in the, the, the true benefit, inshallah ta'ala. So just start, be consistent, find a good gym, inshallah. And, and alhamdulillah, and one of the, the, the beautiful things with, you know, many of the people in the West is that a lot of them, they're very understanding. I remember I, I took my son to start with Taekwondo and the guy was like, you know, really militant into the system and, with the issue of bowing and things like this. And I was like, look, we're Muslims. My son can't bow. And this was in Ireland. And he was like, no, he said, we can't, you know, he said, we're not doing it out of worship. And he tried to, I mean, he was, he was nice in, in the way he explained to me and tried to, you know, try to convince me, but I wasn't going for it. But when we went to train like Japanese jiu-jitsu, went to train MMA, the respect they had. In Japanese jiu-jitsu, there's bowing and there's prostration, there's sujut. But our coaches made for us a special tahiyya, a special salute it was me and some Saudi brothers who were training there, uh, which we would just, they would do like this. Instead of doing the bow to each other, when they would train with one of the Muslims, they would do like this, you know, and, and it would do like this. At the end, when they would do their sujood, we wouldn't do it. We'd sit down, like in the same thing, like you do in salat and things like that on, on your knees. But no, when they would make their sujood, we would sit as Muslims. We would make sujood, you know. And I even remember one time we had this coach he was on the ground. He was, he was a beast. He was amazing on the ground. No one could ever submit the guy. He was an older guy. And um, he, uh, he got in, you know, he went through like the, this life change. 
he became vegan. You know, even though our coaches would tell him he became much weaker in his body after he became vegan and he couldn't really do as much as he could before, subhanAllah. Uh, then he became Buddhist. You know, so they go through like these, these, these weird changes, some people. So he used, to, he used to like to do some meditation at the end of his thing. And he, he came and says, okay, if I do this and you're here with us sitting down at the end, I said, you do your, med- your meditation. And I said, we have something called the dhikr, the remembrance of Allah. I said, as you're meditating, I'm going to make I'm making tisbih. I'm glorifying our creator. I'm saying, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. I'm repeating the dhikr as he said, you, you do your thing. I said, I'm going to do mine. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I'm not going to worship with you. You do your worship, I'm going to do mine. Alhamdulillah. And they were very respectful of that, alhamdulillah. Even the MMA gym as well, they were respectful. If every now and then when we would train, the, a, a woman would come. Even our, in, in Japanese jiu-jitsu, the, the head of our dojo, she was, uh, it was actually a woman, but she didn't come all the time. She would come with the kids and her husband, uh, he was three dan, black belt, and he, she was five dan. So she, she was the, you know, the supervisor. She would come, especially for the grading and things like that. But when she learned that, um, you know, I don't train with women, I don't touch women, I don't shake hands with women, you know, she had a lot of respect for that. So she, if she wanted to show me something, she would bring in one of the other guys when she would come in, she would throw him on the ground and get him in a submission and show me how to do it. You know, she wouldn't touch me. It wouldn't ask me to, 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 to roll with her. And, and so she would come in sometimes. There was another lady sometimes who would come from another, uh, another area. And, you know, when it came time to roll, you know, they knew that if, if it was my turn to roll with her, I was going to roll with her. They were very respectful of that. Even I remember when I took my son, uh, Abdullah, to train, you know, and, and for the first time Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, he'd been doing MMA since he was four, as I said. When I took him there, I forgot to tell him about the bowing stuff, and I left. And it was really cool because the, the, the coach, she came over to him and she said, Abdullah, you're not going to do this. He said, we're going to do this at the end of the, the, the sojourn. So you, you just sit here normal. She explained to him that you're not going to do this. Said, That's amazing. SubhanAllah. So you find a lot of them, you know, even though they're, not, they're non-Muslim coaches, and this is the point I want to point out, many of them are very respectful. And it's important for us to respect ourselves, first of all, as Muslims, that we have principles, we have values, and we explain to them, open and say, look, I can't touch a woman who's not my wife, you know, I can't roll with a woman. Um, I, I, you know, I can't do certain and certain, and like in, 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 in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I you know have it like the issue of the, uh, the, the different type of, of, of it's more, more like shaking hands and things like that and us and all of this instead of, you know, sujud and, 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 and what have you. There are some bowing, some do a little bit of bowing. It depends on I, I, the jojo you go to. But if you explain to them um, that, then, alhamdulillah, they, they respect that. And, and that, that's a beautiful thing of most of our communities in the West. We have those individuals. If you find someone who's, who's uh, you know, not willing to compromise something he believes in, then you don't train with him and you move on somewhere else, inshallah. No, 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 man. I also see the opposite, Shaykh, where people are ashamed to, you know, share their values and be different and appear as a Muslim. You know, they, they try to, you know, compromise their values and their integrity and kind of come with this, you know, half treading on water, moderate type of deen where, you know, they wouldn't have done it somewhere else, but they're like, oh, no, I made it here. You know, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want people to you know, exactly. call me out, look at me as different. Yeah, this, this is very, very common, and not just with the youth, even with the, some of the older brothers and sisters who, who, are, who are very any fearful of that, whereas what they don't realize, and I, th- I think a lot of the times, I mean, even, unfortunately, some of them have been born and raised in the West, but just they have this, this, this you know, type of mentality or this, uh, you know, where they, they don't have a confidence in their self and their religion. What they don't realize is that people respect those who respect themselves. People respect those who have values and they stick to them, even if they disagree with them, 
even if inside they hate your values. Many of the, of the people, I'll tell you, when they see my wife in niqab, they don't like it. But when they see that she's a person of values, who, who values her religion, and she does it out of her own, you know, any religious, any contentment and commitment, that she, uh, that they respect this. Even I found that there's more respect for, like when we go to the embassy to renew our passports, many of the time I found that the, that the guards and the staff, that they were more respectful with my wife and her niqab than they were with, with, with the women who would come in, you know, trying to be the modern Muslim ladies with the half hijab and all the makeup on and the high heels she can't walk and stuff like that. So she looks like she's modern and cute, right? And you'll find that, you know, that the way they were treating her wasn't really nice, but with my wife, they were very respectful for, of her because and it, they, it's natural. And people, and people just, I don't know how they don't get this. That when you have respect for yourself and your values, people will respect you. And also that gives you a sense of pride and honor where you, where you feel like you're someone who, who has principles, who has values that, that you hold on to. And that's, that's more valuable for me. I remember when I, we opened the Islamic Center in, in Ireland that the mayor of the center, uh, of, the, excuse me, of the city, she was um, you know, a, a lady. And when she came and she put her hand out to me to shake my hand, I was the only one who didn't do it. The other brother who was in charge of the masjid, beard, Islam, Allah Akbar, you know, he's giving her salams. So I was like, oh man, you know? So I'm the only one here who looks like the, the, the crazy dude now. Now I'm the, I'm the extremist, right? Because I'm not shaking hands. But what I did, I explained to her. And she, she was a bit shocked. She was a bit caught off guard, to be honest with you. But she came back to me later and started talking to me. And it, was, it was really good. And even I remember one time, one of our Islamic exhibitions, and uh, another city that the second in the police force in our city was was a lady and she had another lady with her and she came and she came to shake my hand and then I didn't explain to her she was like that's cool she, I didn't know that she said this is something we have to teach our officers now the Irish are really cool people by the way I really, really enjoy my time in Ireland you know with, with the local government with the police we did a lot, a lot of good work with them alhamdulillah so they and it was very interesting what she said she said we need to put this into our curriculum where we teach about other people, where we teach about other people and their values. So they know that a Muslim man who is any, someone who is, you know, they might call you orthodox. They might call you whatever who's you know, devoted, who's practicing whatever <clears throat> terminology they're going to use. But they said that they will know if you see someone who's a practicing, and he does, he doesn't want to shake hands. It's not disrespecting the woman. And it's, it's, it's because of a value that he has when it comes to Islam principle. And then the issue of the niqab, she started talking to my wife he said, also, we need to talk about this and the issue of niqab, uncovering this. If a police officer comes, what is the ruling? And she said, could you, your wife, come and talk? And I said, of course. I said, don't, I'm not going to. And this, this is a principle I always took with uh, the issue of the hijab. And I was asked to speak about the hijab in one of the universities in our local. I said, no, no, no. I said, if you want a speaker, let one of the sisters speak uh, about her hijab. Because me, you know, the, the beard, it's the, the mullah who came, you know, the, the, the extremists who come to, 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 you know, to, to, to put the women, uh, to put them down and to hold them back and make her wear you know, this garment over her head and over her face. And it, but when a woman comes and speaks, you know, even I told my wife as we travel, I said, if you don't want to uncover your face to the man in the booth, you tell him, not me. Because I mean, one time I told him, I was like, can you bring a man? The guy looked at me like, you know, oppressor, you know? <laughs> so I was like, I said, look, I said, if you want to not uncover your face to him and you want a woman to come do it, I said, you ask him next time. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. So I'm there. She does it herself. And I'm there. And even in some countries, out of respect, I remember one time we were traveling, 
we're actually traveling to Denmark. Unfortunately, I think they banned the niqab there now. Uh, but uh, as we were traveling to Denmark, we were going through Holland. So we came through the, 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 the passport control in the middle in Amsterdam. We actually didn't enter in Holland. We're just crossing through. But that's where the border control was in the middle. So the, the guys themselves, they called, you know, the, the, the woman for my wife. Uh, also in the UK, a lot of times when they see her coming with her niqab, they call the woman, you know, so they, they, they got used to that. How did they get used to that? By the women who respected themselves and respected their hijab, that she had values. So they realized that this hijabi woman now has values. Therefore, therefore, they, they started to respect her and her values as well. And this is something Muslims just don't get it, man. And, 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 and it makes it easier for all of us. And we respect our values. People start to learn them and start to know what they are. And it's going to be easy for us then to practice. But if it's like what I said, when I was the only one at that Islamic center who didn't, um, who didn't shake the mayor's hand, and how did that make me look? And how was that? But if, and if, if, if all of us were doing it, it becomes second nature. Now at, in, in my city in Ireland, when it comes to uh, the Islamic exhibitions, when the mayor came, the new mayor came and he said to me, it might be an issue for me to shake some of the women's hands. He said, I found it in the report because the last mayor wrote at the Islamic exhibition is what it was. He went down and wrote down his notes. So the new mayor, he read the notes of the old mayor and he realized that may, there might be a, a problem shaking women's hand. Some of the, the Muslimat, the Muslim women might not feel comfortable. So he came and he asked me as the, as the imam of the city, he said, you know, is this the case? And I explained to him, I said, if she doesn't put out her hand, that means she doesn't want to shake. You see this, she doesn't want to shake hands. But if she puts out her hand to you, you can shake her hand. Then she doesn't, she doesn't have that same value as the other one does. But then you see now, because of the implementation of some of the brothers and some of the sisters, there's a, a form of respect, alhamdulillah, and from, from, the, from the people, from the society, because they start to learn. But if everyone's scared to act upon Islam, people are not going to know what it is. And you're going to have the, the, the one you know, lone wolf miskeen who, who is trying to implement it. You know, he's, 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 he's the, the black sheep of the flock or the, the one who's out, outcast, you know. He's the outcast of, of the group because he's the only one who's trying. Oh, that's the way they look at him anyways. But he's the one, alhamdulillah. As the Prophet ﷺ said, that's what's important is that, you know, Islam started strange and it will return as something mm -hmm. strange. So peace be the strangers. Alhamdulillah. So we take pride in being from the strangers, even if we're the only ones who act upon it, inshallah. That was one of my favorite hadith in uh, Sahih Muslim. It was, it was straight up. And so glad tidings to the, to the strangers. Because at the end of the day, we live in a society where it's not too far from jahiliya. So... Mm. So more you know yeah. but yeah so i don't know do you have anything else for this episode a yeah, question in the beginning before we even started or i think maybe we did start uh, i don't know you had said the the hadith about striking to the face um i don't know if you said it was a a hundred percent authentic or like questionably authentic which one was it no 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 the hadith i mentioned it no. was questionably authentic it wasn't authentic was that the uh, the the hikmah, the wisdom, is the lost belong uh, lost be uh, belonging of the believer. Wherever he finds it, he takes it. So that hadith is not authentic, but the meaning of it is authentic, as the scholar said. Because you, any when you have a hadith, it's broken down into two parts: the isnad and the matan. The isnad means the chain of narration from the, the author of the book all the way to the Prophet And then the second part of the hadith is the text, meaning the saying or the action. Uh, of the Prophet or the approval of the Prophet in that hadith. So if the chain of narration might be weak, but the meaning of the hadith goes with in, in accordance with other meanings in Islam, some of the scholars might say that we can benefit from this hadith, not saying that it's a hadith, though, that's the difference. You wouldn't say the Prophet said this, 
But it's interesting. We can benefit this as, as a principle, as, as, as a benefit, uh, as a fa'idah, inshallah, we can benefit from that. And that's what they said about this hadith because it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful meaning, but the isnad is not authentic. The chain of narration is not authentic. However, the hadith of hitting in the face is authentic. It is, it is authentic where you're not allowed to hit, into the, face, hit the face. I hope this episode cleared some stuff about the nuances behind the hadith and the modern day relevance. Yeah. All right. So if you guys made it this far, type in hashtag dojo. And thank you so much, Sheikh Abdurrahim McCarthy, for making the time to be featured in this episode. Until next time, guys. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You know, you could do this without school. You already know that you can bring in money. Now, the question is. Can you bring home some paychecks and show that to mommy and daddy? Can you prove it that you can do it? Because at the end of the day, they still have this traditional Eastern philosophy that you need to go to school. We came here, we sacrificed our life for you to go to college so you can get this degree and make this money. Whereas, bro, I keep preaching this. You don't need school if you don't need school. If you're not trying to be a doctor, you're not trying to be a lawyer, you're not trying to be some type of engineer. I'm talking about an actual practical engineer, right? Not like a programming, uh, you know, software engineer that can, that's, you can do it from your laptop, bro. Now, these types of things go, go to school. But you don't need one to be a software engineer. Can you be a software engineer through school? Of course. Can you be one without school? Of course. So why take the route that you might have to, uh, indulge in riba in interest in student loans 